Hello. It is a tick that has fallen well down the rankings on my CV, but back at the turn of the 90s, and when I was treading water waiting for the ducks of my sole trader status to all line up in a row, I endured a brief spell working as a freelance driver for a funeral director. Although the proprietor knew this to be a stopgap, I evidently impressed him and was invited to make a career of it. When I bumped into him in a restaurant more than 20 years later and playfully reminded him of his departing comment, there'll always be a job here for you, he genially replied, there still is. A lovely gesture, I admit to occasionally looking back to what might have been. Morbid as this may sound, it was in fact a fascinating experience that, though lasting but a few months, left a deep imprint upon me, particularly with regard to the behind-the-scenes compassion for the deceased that is not usually open to public consumption. The consummate reverence and unfeigned respect shown towards complete strangers bereft of the life spirit, and at the nadir of their dignity, lying horizontal in a casket, exerted its influence on my perceptions of mortality, and the veneration such mortality demands, whence we all cross that ultimate Rubicon, from which there is no prospect of return. At the time, I had only recently lost my dear father to cancer, at the distressingly early age of 56 years. So my empathy for others in their grief was commensurate with the raw, open wound of my own loss. And it was here, driving a cortege of mourners, that I met a remarkable man of the cloth named Frank, who officiated at the services. An ex-military man, he was called by the prospect of another path through life and redirected his career towards the worship of God. Frank was probably one of the most sincerely pious people I have ever met and, although my own faith in the divine withstands little scrutiny, I was mesmerised by his devotion and commitment. His understated ability to sigh through rant and cleave to the essence of an argument was compelling. Three decades older and noticeably greyer, I recall a typically incisive discussion when, following a burial and returning sans mourners back to the office, I asked him to explain, in terms simply enough even for me, what this religion thing was all about. He paused momentarily as if in deep contemplation before asking me why I often visited my father's final place of rest. I explained that when I did so, I felt he was still here, in spirit at least, and that he would always be a part of me. Frank's measured retort was so blindingly enlightening, I was moved to pull the limo to one side in order to digest his words that, though few, seemed to encapsulate a whole ethos and settle a thousand unanswered questions. You say your father is part of you, he spoke softly. Two thousand years ago, a man I never knew died on a cross. I feel part of him is now with me. Bang! What a shot! The precise point of death is not as clear-cut as it first appears, and the advancements in medicine and ethics constantly shift the boundaries as to when life is finally extinct. But a lay indicator that may be defined more by the soul than science is the point at which the physical components constrained within one body metamorphose into nebulous memories and emotions that suffuse everyone who knew the departed. And we remember them. Sic transit gloriamundi, 
thus passes the glory of the world. Now, go online and there is any number of websites citing famous events in history. Tap a date into one of these and up will pop scores that happened on that day. Let me just by way of a random example try 11th of November. Ah, I note that on this day in 1940 the Jeep made its debut. In 1992 the Church of England voted to ordain women as priests. And in 2002 Microsoft Chairman Bill Gates pledged $100 million to fight AIDS in India. But these and all else pale into insignificance with the momentous occurrence on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918. A date now seared into the collective consciousness it marks, of course, the armistice that brought to an end the Great War of 1914 to 1918. The war to end all wars. This global conflict is without parallel with millions of deaths and casualties sustained in an orgy of some of the darkest and most vile excesses ever to blacken humanity. Originally known as Armistice Day, it was first observed in 1919 to commemorate the end of hostilities in the previous year. After the end of the Second World War in 1945, it became Remembrance Day to include all those who had fallen in the two world wars and other conflicts. The Remembrance Poppy has become emblematic, the brilliant red colour symbolising blood spilled in war. Remembrance Sunday is held on the second Sunday of November, the closest to the 11th. By happenstance, for 2018, and on the 100th year since the signing of the armistice, the second Sunday is also the 11th. There is something particularly noteworthy about a 100th anniversary, more so than, say, the 97th or the 103rd. My gesture of commemoration is pausing, as do millions of others, for the customary period of silent reflection exactly on the 11th hour. This time around, I'll not be alone in feeling the coincidence of timing affords an added poignancy. Many years before I was born, I, like countless others, lost forebears in those infernal trenches. So no, I never met them. But I certainly remember them. What was it the Reverend Frank said about feeling part of them is now with me? Yet the inherent caveat in reaching a landmark such as a centenary should not be used as justification for a sense of attainment or of a misguided pretension of a task fulfilled with, dare one suggest, a corresponding diminution in its perceived relevance to contemporary life. It is inevitable that memories become desensitised, yet the repercussions still reverberate. In a slight misquote of the 20th century philosopher George Santayana, Winston Churchill is remembered for paraphrasing his expression as those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. World War I marks a period in our history that no sane person would ever wish to see repeated, so the lessons of continually learning from it are surely an imperative. A scroll down the catalogue of conflicts around the globe since 1918 offers a sad testimony to the notion of the war to end all wars being haplessly optimistic. Yet, as an example of man's inhumanity to man, it has few peers. We can but both trust to providence and remember in perpetuity such that it never does. As John Maxwell Edmonds said movingly in 1916, 
When you go home, tell them of us and say, For your tomorrow we gave our today. Two years earlier, in September 1914, the Times carried a poem by Robert Lawrence Binion that included the haunting refrain, At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. The soldiers of World War I have since all departed, but their words remain as a lasting legacy of their sacrifice. There are, predictably, those who suggest all this should now be confined to the past, and, to use an expression made fashionable to the point of cliché, we draw a line and move on. For my part, I believe that we will indeed continue to remember them for a long time hence, and, thanks to a chance conversation in a funeral car with a charming man who was instrumental in recalibrating my own moral perceptions almost half a lifetime ago, I have in the interim developed a much firmer grasp on the enduring significance of precisely why we must. Enjoy your black country, and do join me again soon for more tales from the barn. <laughs>